The following is a special presentation of Torah Today Ministries. Hi there, my name is Kamal Sampra and I'm from India originally but I live in Canada and I came across this man called Grant Luton many years ago and few months ago uh, he started a new ministry called Torah Today Ministries is the president of that ministry mm. and uh, I have a few questions for Grant this morning so that we can get a brief idea as to what he is about and what his teachings are about so I'm going to put them to, uh, put these questions to Grant and uh, let's see what Grant has to okay. say about these okay so Grant uh, nice to see you good to see you Kamal yeah. And I like to ask you a few questions about Torah Today Ministries. Absolutely. For especially those people who are wondering uh, what this new ministry is all about. Sure. With so many sermons and teachings, we've been saturated left, right, and center on YouTube and everywhere. <laughs> so, what makes Torah Today Ministries unique, and what is the purpose of your ministry? Well, one of the things I've noticed is that. Unlike other religions, Christianity is splintered into thousands of denominations. We've got, you could say, thousands of Christianities. And it seems like so much of the teaching of Christianity is aimed at other Christians trying to show them where they're wrong. And I think the reason Christianity has been so splintered is because they have drifted away from the Bible that Jesus and the apostles that Paul all studied and lived their lives according to. Because when I talk to Christians, I think you'll find this too. They're comfortable talking about the New Testament scriptures, but they really don't know their way around the original Hebrew Bible. And this was the Bible that Jesus studied, that Paul tells us was God-breathed and is profitable for our teaching, for our reproof, our correction, and our instruction in righteousness that we can be thoroughly supplied for every good work. There was no New Testament when he wrote that. And I think if Christians could get back to the foundational scriptures and quit ignoring the Bible that the first century church studied and lived by, then we, then we have more unity. And so um, part of my desire is to get Christians to study the Bible that Jesus studied. Mm. And then get the complete picture in its entirety. Yes, right? exactly. Okay. Great. So um, the next question is, what is your approach in order uh, to teach these scriptures? How, how are you going to go about yeah. this? Well, first thing we need to realize is that the Bible is not given to us in the modern age in the West with Greek logic and Western thinking. It's a very ancient Jewish book that was written by Hebraic thinkers in the ancient world. And they think and reason and process information differently than we do. So we're reading what you might consider a foreign book, trying to use a mindset that doesn't quite jive with the original writers. And um, so if we can come to the Bible on its own terms instead of making it fit into the way we think, it's going to open itself up to us. And, um, you know, in a perfect world, we would have the Jewish people teaching us these scriptures. 
but that's not happening. So we're doing the best we can to understand this, this book that God has given to the Jewish people to disseminate to the world. We're trying to do the best we can. And so I wanna be here to help people. And I have found the more I can understand the context of the scriptures, know the language and the people and the land of Israel, the more the Bible just blossoms and opens up. It goes from black and white to living color. And also helps me understand the New Testament scriptures much, much better. So that's my desire to help us to come to the Bible on its terms instead of making it try to fit in with the way we think and how we process information. So are you saying that an unbiased disciple mm -hmm. would benefit greatly? It's benefited me greatly <laughs> yeah. and uh, other people who have started to study the scriptures using um, the ancient study tools of the Jewish people and approaching it with the Hebraic mindset, they would all agree it's truly helped them greatly. And again, one of the reasons we have so many Christian denominations is because everybody's coming at it from their own point of view, making it say what they want it to say. But we come to it on its terms. It has a single message for us, and it brings great unity and, and shalom and peace mm -hmm. into the person's life. Thank yes. you. So your ministry is called Torah Today Ministries. Yes. Okay, Torah Today, the mm -hmm. Law Today Ministries. So, but I'm reading Romans 7, 6. It says, mm -hmm. but now we are released from the law, mm -hmm. having died to what which has held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit. New way, released from the law, yeah. not in the old way, old way yeah. of the written code. So, why do you call yourself yeah. Torah Today Ministers? Are you taking people back under the law with this teaching and nullifying the effect of what uh -huh. Christ has done on the cross? I certainly hope not. Uh, but first of all, that's a great question because that, that is a great example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. First of all, the word Torah does not mean law, even though our English translations translate that way. The word Torah comes from the Hebrew word yara, which means to hit the bullseye, to hit the mark. And uh, Torah, it means instruction. That's what the word means. And sometimes our English translators do translate it instruction. I wish they were more consistent with that. But sin is missing the mark. But Torah means to hit the mark. It's the instruction that hits the bullseye. Now, in the Torah, there are laws. But in the New Testament, there are more than twice as many laws. So it's not like laws are bad. Laws are the rules that we live by so we have a righteous society and we can live righteous lives. But going to the passage you read, I think it's from Romans 7, is a great example of how we misread the scriptures. Paul would never say we're doing away with the law or doing away with the Torah. That'd be like him saying, let's get away from the Bible. Let's throw the Bible away. It's too condemning. What he's talking about there, if we look at the context, he's saying we have been freed from the penalty of the law. And if we read the whole passage, it becomes clear. In other words, the Torah assigns punishments and consequences for sins. But Paul has been talking in Romans, and he continues to, and in Galatians as well, is, is, he explains that in Christ, we've been crucified. And we're like dead people. You don't punish dead people. And in God's eyes, we've been born again. So whatever the old me did, 
There's a new me now. And the punishments I deserved no longer apply because I ha this is a new start. I'm a new creation. And so this is what Paul is talking about. We have been released from the punishment of the laws. And we have a brand new start. Now, with that said, we still need to obey God. And if we rebel against him now, there are going to be consequences. We're his kids. He spanks his kids when we disobey. But for Paul to say that the Torah is done away with would fly in the face of what Yeshua said. Because Yeshua commands us in Matthew 5, 17. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Now, right there, some people say, well, see, Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to. Well, that's like saying, since he didn't commit adultery, I can. Since he didn't steal, I can now steal. He didn't lie, so now I can lie. What he's saying is, is that, don't think I came to abolish the law. I came to show you how it's lived out, so you can live it out the way I did. And then he goes on. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. And when I looked out the window this morning, heaven and earth are still here. Not a yud, not the smallest letter or decoration on a letter will pass from the Torah until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, one of these Torah commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he didn't say if you do them, you go to heaven. If you don't do them, you don't go to heaven. Um, because the Torah is not a salvation document. It's a blessing document. And I find most Christians do most of what the Torah says. They don't lie. They don't practice idolatry. They don't steal and murder. And they don't, uh, they even do the other smaller laws like tithing, keeping just weights and measures. I find Christians keeping most of the laws in the Torah. And they're blessed because of it. So if we're blessed by keeping most of the commandments, why not keep them all? Mm. Now, I know we're told that the Torah is way too difficult to follow. But even that is contrary to what the Torah says, and it's contrary to what John himself says. In 1 John, he says God's commandments are not burdensome. I have found not keeping his commandments to be burdensome. I have found that Yeshua's yoke is easy and his burden's light. And uh, I have found that the more I align myself with the instructions God gives us in the Torah, life doesn't become more difficult. It becomes more blessed. It becomes smoother. And uh, I just, like David, over and over and over in Psalm 119, he talks how much he loves God's Torah and how he loves keeping the commandments and how they're his joy and he just meditates on them day and night. And, um, and for the person who conscientiously studies the Torah and asks God, help me to build this into my life, they find incredible blessing. I've often said that Satan's two great tactics, his great purpose in the world today is to keep Jews from recognizing Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, and to keep Christians from recognizing the Torah as God's discipleship manual for the believer. 
And as long as he can keep Christians away from the Torah and keep Jews away from Christ, then his job's pretty easy. But we each have what the other needs. We have what the Jewish people need and the Jews have what we need. And if we put them together, we find balance and mm -hmm. we find real, a real place of connection. And um, we live in a day when God's starting to bring the two back together. Yeah. And well, it's a wonderful time to be alive. I think this is where Paul says about the one new man. Yes, exactly. Right? And mm -hmm. I, I think the man is not complete without no. having the, no. them together. Well, it, it says in Revelation that we'll sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Mm. And without both of those, you don't have the song. And then when you look at the wall that goes around the New Jerusalem, we see that the, the courses of precious stone are named after the apostles, but the gates are named after the 12 tribes. So again, you see the followers of Yeshua, the disciples of Yeshua, and the people of Israel blended together into one. So we need to be careful. We, Jews don't look down their noses at Christians and Christians don't look down their noses at the Jews. God has given each of us what the other needs, and he's waiting. When are you going to come together and cooperate and share what you have? Thanks, Grant. Sure. So, uh, f uh, flowing through that um, explanation that you gave, our natural disposition as Christians or just humans is we tend to idolize and worship anything that we see slowly yeah. but surely yeah. it happens, knowingly or unknowingly. So what if through your teachings, through the mm -hmm. going through this Old Testament, all of a sudden we begin to idolize the Jewish people and mm -hmm. sensationalize Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, how is this uh, uh, something that can be avoided? But in other words, what yeah. I'm trying to say, um, are you trying to make people Jewish through this? <laughs> I'm not trying to make people Jewish. That's impossible anyway. Even if you convert to Judaism, if you do a DNA test, you still come up <laughs> as a Gentile. You can't become a Jew. And I'm not trying to get people to convert and change to a different religion. Paul warns against that. Mm. Um, we need the Jewish people and the Jewish people need the Gentiles, but we all need Messiah. We all need his word. We need the word that is written and the word made flesh. We need them both because they are the same message. So, um, but as far as people begin to idolize the Jewish people or Israel, I just say, don't do that because we all have propensity to worship things. And, um, and I noted that growing up in the church, I met Christians and, and still do. They worship a T-shaped cross hanging on a wall, or they worship a church building, or they worship their particular set of theology and treat it as if that theology is our savior instead of Jesus himself. Because we're saved by what Jesus did not by what we think about what he did. And so we are all prone to worship things. And so if we have the Torah, the Torah warns us over and over and over again that God alone is to be feared. God alone is to be worshiped. And it gives us example after example of what happens when people begin to worship things that are not God, or worship godly things even. I, I'm reminded of uh, the story in the book of Numbers where the poisonous serpents came, the fiery serpents came and bit people. So the solution was for Moses to make a bronze serpent, a nakash nakashet, it's called in, in Hebrew. 
and put on a pole so when they gazed at it in faith, they would be healed. But then later on, I believe it's in the book of Kings, hundreds of years later, they took that bronze serpent and they were worshiping it. They'd made an idol out of something God had given them to bring healing. We're prone to do this. So whether you're a Jew or a Christian or whatever you are, we need to guard against worshiping anything other than God. So the warning's universal to all of us. Right, right. So I come to the final question. So what would you hope would happen in the life of a true disciple, a Talmudin, when they go through your various teachings uh, on Torah Today Ministries? First, and this is the thing that struck me, and I, I hear this often from people who have begun to study Torah, and that is this. First of all, the dots begin to connect. They begin to see how things throughout the scriptures connect with other things in the scriptures. And also, they begin to realize that the God of the New Testament is the same God as the Old Testament. We have this really twisted notion that God was mean, and then when Jesus came, he turned nice. And they almost think as if Jesus came to save us from God. <laughs> he came to save us from sin. And when you hear Yeshua talk, he, that's God speaking through him. Everything that Yeshua did, he says, I do it because I see my father doing it. And when you see him welcoming the little children, you're seeing the father. You're seeing God's grace. People tend to think there's no grace in the Old Testament, but it's all through the Hebrew scriptures. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the Aaronic blessing, which God gave to bless people, it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And we find grace throughout the scriptures. Look at how he treated Israel when they were constantly rebelling and falling and turning towards golden calf. And God would graciously forgive them, pick them up, dust them off, and come on, keep going. And we see God's grace everywhere. And when you look into the New Testament, You'll see Paul and Jesus and the apostles quoting the Old Testament as examples of God's grace. So the, the God, uh, the Old Testament, the God knew so is the same God. And, uh, and as we begin to study it more, we see the connections instead of making the New Testament a book that it, it is different from what it is. Um, another thing um, that we develop balance. When we begin to love God and realize he has not changed his ways, he has not changed his mind, that the New Testament hasn't replaced the Old Testament scriptures, but the New Testament scriptures tell us and point us back to the Torah over and over and over again. Like James, he says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Well, there was no New Testament when he wrote that. What's the word he's telling us to obey? And then James twice in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he refers to the Torah as liberating. You know, um, Jesus prophesied, I think it's in Matthew, one of the Gospels, he prophesied that in the latter days, it says, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. What did he mean by lawlessness? 
He's talking about Torahlessness. He wasn't so concerned about people obeying Roman law, pagan laws. He's interested in people obeying the law of God, God's Torah. And I have found among my friends that the more they build the Torah in their lives and understand it and feed on the, the rich word and the, the living Torah, their love increases, not decreases. Now, anybody can use the Torah or the New Testament to become more legalistic, and that's something God hates, and I do too. But people who humbly look at every commandment of God as an opportunity to show love for Him, their love for people increases too. So that is what I want to see right. as well. So it's been three months since Torah Today Ministries started, and Grant already has close to 60 teachings or more. Pretty close to 60 <laughs> online, Pretty, yes. Yeah, yes. 60 teachings. You can get started. Can you give me a quick overview of some of the kinds of teachings? That sure. Uh, well, right now I'm doing several different series. Uh, uh, the first one is a series on the Psalms. And we've, we have the first 16 Psalms up. Number 17 should go up in the next few days. And I plan, if God gives me life, <laughs> to go through all 150. And they've been such a blessing to do. So that's one series that's continuing. Uh, I, there's another series called Pardon My Jargon. And what I do is I take uh, Christian lingo uh, and explain what is the Hebrew and Greek word that lies behind that term. I don't see any religious terminology in the Bible. And let me say that again. I don't see any religious terminology in the Bible. Everything in the Hebrew and the Greek is street vernacular. But somehow in Christianity, in the English-speaking world, we've come up with all these terms. And they're not bad terms, it's just that they, we don't understand them. We use terms like sanctification and holiness and redemption and justification and even baptism, even salvation, even the word gospel. What do these terms mean? What did they mean in the first century world to Hebrew speakers and Greek speakers? And when we get back to what the word actually means, it's quite amazing to understand what it means. One great example, and if, if the listeners don't hear anything else but this, we use the word Christ all the time. Ask most Christians, what does the word Christ mean? They have no idea. So I've heard some people say, well, that's Jesus' last name. <laughs> and, um, and then a few will realize, okay, Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. Christos means to be christened, to be anointed. And they realize, oh, it's Jesus the anointed. All right, well, that's great. Now, what does it mean to be anointed? What does that mean? When a Jew hears someone is the anointed, what do they think of? Well, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. But wherever you find the term the anointed, it always refers to the king. Think how revolutionary it would be if Christians, instead of using the word Christ, used the word king, because that is the weight of what the word carries. King Jesus. You see, when we use the word Jesus, we think of what God has done for us. When we use the term king, now it talks about what I have to do for him. You obey your king, because your king sets the rules. And what the king says that's what must be done.
If only we could bring that understanding in. Well, we use the term Christ like we know what it means. But everybody knows what a king is. So that's just one example. So that's another series. I'm also doing a series called The Hebrew Key, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I take something from the Hebrew scriptures that just simply does not come through in the translation. And I dig down on it a little bit and open it up. And there's, you know, David said, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonders from your Torah. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. Bring out some of these wonders, these hidden gems in the Torah. And then there's another series that I just started called Sage Advice, where we look at some of the brilliant Jewish geniuses who uh, wrote about the Word of God, wrote amazing books that are in print and translated into English today, and to introduce listeners to some of these. And uh, so those are the series that are running right now. I'm also doing a weekly teaching on the Torah portion right. called Parsha Seasonings, bringing out some details mm-hmm. from those. And we got plenty more to look forward to. We have to. more coming, yes, yeah. yes. So I strongly encourage the listeners, if you're really serious about knowing mm-hmm. the Word of God and trying to know our our Christ, yes. the Christ, better, yeah. um, this is a place to be. So thank you for taking time. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Appreciate that. You're welcome.